Hey, folks, Tuesday morning, episode number 38. Unless it's Tuesday afternoon, in which case it's still episode 38, but it's just the afternoon now. Unless it's Wednesday and you listen to it the day after. Also, still, episode number 38. Could go on all day like this, I guess. Let's not. Let's just jump right into it. difficulties all day long you know it's it seems like the more moving parts we add to the podcast thing here the more things there are that can go wrong the more microphone issues sound issues all that stuff yeah so i hope it sounds okay um so i'm doing something that i i never talk about on the air it's like my secret addiction what is that yeah my secret secret addiction am i supposed to know what that is it's this large 16 ounce can of dr pepper that i'm sucking down on the air to relieve my stress so you're you you're just drinking soda then? Oh, drinking soda on the air—it's so good. Wow, live live it on the edge, man. Uh, I gotta tell you, why don't you rein it in a little bit? You're a danger. Soda's bad for you. Well, a lot of things are bad for you. Soda's particularly bad for you. I feel like. Uh, fair enough. I don't like it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that's true. You don't like soda at all, really. It's too sweet. I don't like anything. I don't have much of a sweet tooth anyway. Like anything, uh, my tolerance for sweet it gets too sweet real quick for me. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that's that's something we have talked about in the past. Uh, yeah, I like soda, man. I don't know. I think it's because my parents always had it in the house when I was a kid. My dad, I don't know if anyone else's parents had this. Uh, my dad had a fridge in the garage for just beverages, just for beers and colas. I used to see people that had that, yeah, just like drink fridges. Yeah, drink fridge. Drink mm-hmm. fridge is all right. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you going to try to move forward with the show right now and talk about how much you love soda and not mention how you got a year's supply of free Coca-Cola that one time? When you were the WB spokes kid when we were younger? I don't like talking about the WB spokes stuff. Well, that's exactly honestly. why I brought it up. Um, well, here's the thing. So I, uh, I was in drama club, right? Uh-huh. And uh, I got kind of suckered into sending a videotape to the WB for this commercial. You know what I mean? Like, right. If you send the video in, you could be on their TV show or you could be basically a, an intern. Right, right, right. right. Like, for all intents and purposes, you were winning a job as an intern for the WB. So it's not a great prize in reality, but when you're an idiot kid, you don't know any better. You're like, yeah, I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to get free movie rentals from Showbiz for a year. And I'm going to be Southern. Southern, <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so um, I also won. Yeah, I won a year's uh, worth of free video rentals at Showbiz Video, which doesn't Whoa. sound like anything to anyone below the age of 20. That used to mean <laughs> something. Used to mean that something. used to mean something. That was a nice. That was actually the nicest part of the gift. I used to get tons of like movies all the time and watch them myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also wanted small TV, which at the time was a big deal because it was like a 13-inch personal TV for my room right. that I could play Super Nintendo on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I won a year's supply of free Coca-Cola products. So how does that work out? What, what is a year's supply? Can you just call the Coke warehouse at any time and be like, hey, Sam, I'm running a little low. Can I tell you what it really is? I need to know. Everybody it's, needs it's gonna to know. It's going to be like magic. It's going to ruin it for you. <laughs> a year's supply of free soda, according to this prize, was one 12-pack per month. What? Per year. So you get 12 12-packs 12 of Soda of your choosing, right? Here's the thing. 
they don't give you like a coupon, right, to go to the store and say, you know, free soda voucher, whatever. I don't know. I don't think that exists. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> free soda voucher. I'm going to invent that. Uh, they just gave me 12, 12 packs of classic Coca Cola. And said, use restraint. Try yeah. to have some willpower, child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I got it all in one big go. Um, and that's pretty crazy to me because uh, it just sat in my basement until we ran out of soda. And then there was that one day where we were down there and we're like, it's all gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's so dark. Uh, and that's how your that's how your crippling Coca Cola addiction started. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. Ah, oh, geez, what else? What else? What else? Ooh, House of Cards. That's true. Yeah. Finally. Yeah, well, I'm into House of Cards, man. I'm. Uh, here's the thing, though, and this is actually something I wanted to talk to you about because we watched the first uh, six episodes, I guess, of the season pretty much straight through at this point in time, right? We yeah, I'm on. I'm on six or seven, somewhere, something like that. You, yeah. I think you saw one more that I may have fallen asleep through. I think we're at that place again. Right? I, I have no idea. I don't know. Anyhow, uh, House of Cards is really entertaining. It's a fascinating show. It's well acted. Is it a good television show? Would Yeah. What do you mean? I, I guess what I mean is, like, it's very easily, uh, it's very easily digestible, right? Mm-hmm. All the acting is very compelling. It's very kind of hammy. It's all very dramatic performances. But I don't feel like it gets the same, like, critical buzz that a way a lot of shows... It's like, on Netflix, is that really all it is? One hundred percent. Just that it's on Netflix. It, it's on Netflix, so there's not. I mean, this isn't hard and fast. There's exceptions, but realistically, mm. there's kind of an age limit on House of Cards. Uh, there's an accessibility limit for as easy as it is for it seems like for us to watch Netflix on yeah. TV. There's a huge, huge section of the population. Like if you called your mom and said, "Hey, mom, you should watch this show. It's on Netflix." There's no chance unless you go over there and like turn it on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a good. And point. I think also. Um, because people don't have to wait every week and like watch an episode and then buzz about it all week, I think it's just a different. There's a different way for it to build up steam and credibility, but it's never going to be the same way that something that's on once a week on like a more traditional network is going to be. It's just a different kind of animal. People consume it differently, and it has a different relationship to the culture. And maybe I'll say this, and maybe you can appreciate it as well. We, we it's another show we watched. I'm getting a lot of Sopranos kind of cliche vibes in this season, right? in between some of the story arcs. I don't want to spoil any of it. And we talked about, there's something else we talked about that was very Sopranos-y about the way they presented the storyline. I think and also, I think part of it is because we were watching... The some, dream sequences. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, I mean, yeah. that happens in tons of shows. You know, it's been going on for a long time. But I think, especially because we just watched Sopranos not too long ago, yeah. I think it's easier to see the fingerprints on everything. Uh, but I will say, for season four, and I felt this way through most of season three, I still like it. I'm really enjoying House of Cards. Mm. It is not as good as it was in the first two seasons, for, no. for my money at least. I liked it better when it was Frank and Claire, you know, versus the world, as opposed to being a little bit more dealing with things just between them. When it was sure. a little bit more about politics, a little bit less about personal issues, I think it was a little more compelling to me to watch. I think we've actually gotten to a point in this season again, not to spoil anything, where I think we're starting to head more back into that direction. Yeah, the, it yeah, seems to be. Seems to be. Anyway. Uh, yeah, House of Cards. Uh, Uticast, solid thumbs up, I would say. Yeah, Uticast gives the thumbs up to House of Cards. Thumbs up to House of Cards. Um, well, we got Tim Hardiman on this week. Um, Finally, we've been trying yeah. to get we've been trying to get a time yeah, together man. with Tim Hardiman for yeah. a really long time, and we keep um, missing each other. I mean, he's a busy, busy man. Yeah, I hope. But we, we finally carved out the time. Yeah, you know, we we did kind of a short intro today, and uh, we're and Justin Parkinson's going to be on this week because uh, Aaron's. Aaron is science fair. She right? texted me. Aaron Higgins is judging a science fair at the school that she teaches at. Mm-hmm. 
So she's out there just leaving no stone unturned, judging these kids very harshly on their science projects, out there killing it. She was very sad she couldn't make it, though, because she wanted to talk a lot. She had a lot of things she wanted to talk about, so we might have to hold off for next week with her. Hey, Aaron, science fair project. The results of a 16-ounce can of Dr. Pepper on a 30-year-old man's digestive system. Go. Uh, it means you will hear him keep making weird noises throughout the rest of the show. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, so Aaron's not going to be here. Justin's here. Um, I guess we can bring Justin on. He was at the St. Patrick's Day Parade as well as you. So I can... saw him. I think we had, me and him had very, very different days on Saturday. So we can talk about it from two different sides. Very good. And then I got, a, I got an interesting story to share with the listeners as well. We'll be back in just a moment. This is another soda story. No. Something like that. I was Wasn't between. Last week? Was back last week. Oh was yeah, yeah, that's right. How did you feel about your roommate co-opting your other spot? Good, because I hate doing the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> he comes through in your yeah, I gotta tell you, you're never shy about being here when it's time <laughs> oh, to tape, yeah, though. Please. <laughs> um, so, guys, I'm. Uh, I think we should talk a little bit about the St. Patrick's Day parade, except uh, I didn't go because I slept in. I. I mean, does that make me a bad person? Uh, no. I mean, it doesn't make you a bad person. Come on. It's not you're not a bad person because you go to the parade. You did miss out. I thought when you were saying in the beginning, Justin, I'm surprised you're alive. It's because of his parade day and birthday a few days before. He did a long week with that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just always genuinely surprised every time <laughs> I see him that he's still alive. Fair enough. That's actually probably fair. I can't dispute that. So, so my real, uh, my real uh, thoughts about the St. Patrick's Day uh, parade was when I s- was looking down at my phone during the soccer game and said, "Oh, I forgot the parade was today." So there you go. It's you know, it's always I love parade day. It's always a good time. Um, I've been going. I mean, some of my first memories when I was a little kid were going to the parade day with like you know all my family and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I always love it. But this year, with it being, I mean, it was almost sixty-five and sunny. Yeah. Those are the years where it's really yeah. worthwhile to get out there and make an entire day of it. Yeah, that's the um, first one in like three years because it was rainy one of the other years, cold another. Yeah, so you yeah, get for them sure. every once in a while where it's like mm-hmm. you gotta go if it's gonna be sixty-five. And I out. saw. I mean, I had to work. I was in the parade actually. I rode. You know, I rode down the parade, which was crazy to have that perspective on the Genesee Street that you drive by all the time, except, you know, you're, dry, you're down the middle of it standing up on something and there's throngs of people everywhere. Yeah. It was just like a weird kind of surreal thing, and it was over real fast. Then uh, I had to go to work, but from work I could see a lot of the stuff going on. And, you know, there were a lot of people out, and everybody was, you know, going real hard, tons of drinking and stuff. I didn't really see any incidents. Everybody was pretty mellow. Everybody just seemed happy to be out there yeah, in the weather think, and stuff. I think on St. Patrick's Day everybody is mellow. Like, the cops are out there, like, for appearance well, they, like they're not there to bother you or anything yeah, like this yeah. it's pretty respectable thing well now but they i mean they've had years in the not too distant past where there's tons of fights yeah. and people you know flipping cars all sorts of crazy stuff like that yeah. and it's mellowed out the last bunch of years but i was surprised this year because i thought with the nicer you know, weather uh, it might be a little rowdier people said to me a lot actually was that varick street felt dead and my take was I think there's just more to do. Like, there that's is. a good thing that Varick wasn't as packed because it was packed, but it wasn't like packed in, in years past. That was, that well, video, that was you know, like I, I could walk up the nail and get a drink and 
20 seconds that I never out, happens on St. Patrick's Day. I went out on my lunch break, and I went to go get some food from the food trucks, which that was a great idea, by mm-hmm. the way. Nail Creek had, in their parking lot, they had like four or five food trucks with the area to sit and eat, and I thought that was a really smart idea. I'd like to see them do oh, that yeah. all summer. But I went out, and I was kind of looking around, and I think you're right. It's not that it was dead because there were a ton of people, but everybody wanted to be outside, and also there are just more bars down yep. there, and there have been in previous years, and they're continuing you know, to expand and stuff like that which is good because it spreads the crowd out a little bit so you're not in those places where you can't even move. Yeah, well, even just our good friend Johnny Zangrone, um, we were waiting to meet up with him, but he was at Ocean Blue. I could just imagine how many people uh, went down mm-hmm. Genesee and stopped at Ocean Blue or Bite or down to um, Tim at the Dev had yeah. stuff going There's on. There's always so, like, people who go to the Dev It was go a good Griffin's. look for Utica, I think, to have kind of a quieter Varick Street, even on a nice day, because that means just people were in multiple places, which is always a good thing. So, i got to be honest, most of my Varick Street like St. Patrick's Day excursions always ended poorly. Maybe it's because we were young. Eh, I think that definitely had something to do with it. We used to go, like, aggressively hard on St. Patrick's Day. It was bad. That's that's the danger with St. Patrick's Day when you're younger, right? Like, I remember those were the days when you just thought it was fine. Like, you start drinking really early and then you... Well, it it was fine back then. Like, you could still do it. Like, if I I mean, (laughs) if you, like, yeah, you're out there and you waste, a a, you know, an entire Saturday with it, but, like, you're 24 years, what do you care? You know what I mean? That's true. Well, it's still, I think it still is fine if you stop by 11 or 12 and not 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. or 8 like I was. So like the problem is when it's midnight and you're still being a hooligan. This was a classic uh, Sam Pamela St. Patrick's Day movie. You go out in the morning, right, and you start drinking in the morning, and then after the parade's over, you go home and you bust out like a four or five-hour nap Oh yeah, and that's then you're a, back up again for the remainder of the night. You're good to go. That's an everybody move. Yeah, that's that's what you got. That's the only way to get through. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I think I was in bed by 7 p.m. I saw you. You were getting some good play. You were wearing your uh, brand new birthday present that Sam got you. Yes. Your wow. Intercontinental Championship replica belt. The only title that I matters. I tell you what, you were carrying the gold proudly. I, I saw you out there on parade day all day defending I'm your sure title. I'm sure there's tons of photos that I, uh, most of them I forgot taking, but for some reason I was uh, a bit popular with the photo crowd. So I don't People love a, a championship belt, man. You can't see a championship belt on somebody and make some comment. Like moths to a flame on this kid. Everybody was all over him. To be the man. Well, you know, here's... All right, let me just make a quick point about this IC title that I got you. Um, I went to Walmart because I assumed that's the easiest place to find wrestling paraphernalia at a late stage. Um, So I go to Walmart. I'm walking through, and I went into the aisle with all the wrestling action figures, and I took about five minutes to look at all the toys because I'm still, like, five years old at heart, (laughs) and I see action figures, and I can't help but look at stuff. And like, oh, look what it comes with. Uh, so I found the world championship belt. And it was the only one left. And I was like, it's all right. Pretty good. Not as exciting yeah. as I had hoped for. Uh, but then I walked around the corner, and what do you know, there was a big display of all the world belts, right? They had a tag belt, but the IC one spoke to me, Justin. Yeah. You can go to Maiden Utica's Twitter and see some wonderful <laughs> photos. It <laughs> is true. Wearing... The classic IC title. I don't know why I felt the need to grab you for that whole segment. You want to touch the champ. I get it. <laughs> Everyone wants to put their hands yeah, I've been living it game. for days. Oh, man. You know what's funny, too? It's a kid-sized belt, and it fits me perfectly. Well, that's the yeah, it <laughs> Walmart. It's a toy. So, like, when I picked it up, I was like, people are going to think this is just, like, a really fancy belt buckle. I, <laughs> like, he's just a sassy guy. It would look small on almost anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> what are we supposed to say about that? Well, you know, Kevin's six foot five. We put the belt on him, and it looks like it's... And you can't teach <laughs> you can't that. You know what? The Uticast stinks, <laughs> and Kevin's the anus. <laughs> <laughs> wow! 
Oh. Wow, harsh. One person's going to get that joke. One. Paulie. Shout out to Paulie. <laughs> oh, man. So, um, let's move on to the next subject today, I, I say. Or let's, you guys want anything you want to say on St. Patrick's no, Day before we move on? No, I'm good. I got nothing to say to this kid. All right. <laughs> I wish I had more to remember to say, but I don't. Much like House of Cards, St. Patrick's Day gets the Uticast. Thumbs up. It's true. <laughs> All right, uh, so let's talk about uh, my job situation, right? I had to, um, by the time most of you folks listen to this show, which would be, I would imagine, Tuesday afternoon or later, I will be either at the last day of my current position at work, or I will be a freelance nobody. <laughs> <laughs> Local nobody. Local freelance nobody. So uh, Tuesday, I guess today, is the last day at my current job with a large-scale corporate insurance company. Um, so yeah, I'm out of a job, guys. Now wait a minute. After once you're not working anymore, can we talk about the place that you work? Does that become okay? I think it's probably okay now. It's on my Facebook. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it actually listed. It works at uh, dog cartoon place. Facebook asked me <laughs> where I worked. So I Facebook answered. ask you anything? You just answer Facebook? I know. If I, Facebook told me to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge, I do it. You'd no, be like, yeah, I, I love. <laughs> I do love Brooklyn. <laughs> That's where I was going. I know. Um, no, you know what? Um, and this is this is kind of weird, but I guess maybe there's probably other people who've had this struggle before. Um, I got to a point in time with this job where I was so uh, it's not a knock on the job itself, mind you. I think what I learned is that I'm probably not built for quote unquote office work. If that makes any sense, like mm-hmm. sitting in a cubicle and not being able to. Oh really, yeah, the worst. Um, no interact. way. Let me, let me give you just a small example. Okay, this is just kind of what I'm talking about. Um, when I was a temp, I used to temp at MVCC. I was uh, I temped all over the place. I did a lot of like, uh, I made a lot of copies. Let's just say, right? Saturday desk made a lot of copies. Temporary things. Temporary things. Yeah. But here's the thing: if I had to go, oh, meta. if I if I went to go get um, a cup of coffee, right, and I and I wanted to get a cup of coffee in the middle of the day, all I had to do was get up and say, "Hey, um, I'm gonna go down to the cafeteria and grab a cup of coffee. Does anyone want anything?" And they'd say, "No, I'm okay." And I go, I can get a cup of coffee. And You're a temp, not an intern. Second. Right. And I come back and I do, do my job. At this job, let's say I have to use the bathroom, right? I have to legit clock out of a computer system, turn my, like, I, I'm timed. I have to go to the bathroom, come oh. back, turn the timer back off, log back into the system, and then later on I have to, like, notate why I took a three-minute break in the middle of the day, Right. That sounds. You have to like account for three minutes that you took. Maybe not three minutes. Oh my gosh! But like no wonder any, you're leaving. Any meeting, any time I'm not specifically talking on the phone, any time mm-hmm. I'm specifically not at okay. my desk, right? And it's just, it's not a knock on the company because the people who do the work there, who can do it, the people who find that job fulfilling in a way that I probably didn't. Sure. You know what I mean, I because that that's a really <laughs> hard job to do because it's. It's you know insurance. I'm not an insurance salesman for everyone who's out there. I uh, I deal with insurance claims. So, but if you were hiring insurance salesmen, he would be happy to send you a resume. <laughs> I love to send him contact I love information. To sell things, certainly, but that's something different. Like selling something is a salesman job. Right. This job was a support job. Right. Like, this is. I don't think I'm speaking out of school here. Most of the conversations that I had during the day were, someone I love just died, and now. I found this insurance policy, and I don't know what to do with it. Right. right. 
that's that seems like a horrible conversation to have 25 times a day. Uh, 25? Try 75. Oh, there's you know no way. I mean? 75? Uh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. No wonder you're quick. Don't even go tomorrow, today. If <laughs> no. you're When the listeners no. are listening, if Sam's at work, Sam should leave work. Go no, out there look, and pull him out. If there's one thing anyone knows about me, I always show up on the last day. I got to say goodbye true. to all my people. All the few people who are there who I'm going to be still friendly with. Desperately afterwards. pass out some phone numbers on the way out. Just get a whole set of cards. Desperately. Be like, hey, ladies, I'm on 92.7 The Drive. Look at me. <laughs> so desperately. You awake at 6.30 in the morning on Sunday, baby? I'm sorry. That's a t- <laughs> terrible thing to say. Oh, my. 92.7 The Drive. Sunday Drive in the morning with me you know, and Justin Parkinson and Kevin Sullivan. You know, I think it's more welcoming to hear your voice at the crack of dawn. Whether then the last thing you hear before someone goes to sleep, what I would think. What are you saying, you man? You're I, mad. I, I would rather see Sam in the morning than right before I go to bed. Is what I'm saying. Dude, you guys are lost today. I really don't know what to do about the two. It's of a you woman either. thing. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on with Justin <laughs> today, folks. I, I will say though, uh, this is kind of the point I was making though. Uh, so I, as you can see, I was having stress at the job. Honestly. Sure. Certainly upset. It got to a point in time. I don't know if anyone's ever done this where I'm. On Google, right, at my lunch break, typing in, is it okay to quit your job without having another job? What, do you need Google to reassure you? Yeah. Yeah, I needed to take, I'm a, I, I need to hear all sides of the story. So I read all sorts of articles for it and all sorts of articles against it. And what I basically got down to, I think, is, um, I think a friend of mine said it best. Once I decided to put my two weeks in, once I decided it was, this was not working for me, I had a friend of mine at the job, and I won't, I won't put their identity out there, but. Uh, they said to me very, they're like, hey, you know, uh, it's good that you're getting out of here if you don't like this place. I don't really like this job either, but I have a mortgage and I have a couple kids, so I can't really just leave. And that's really what struck with me is like, uh, you know what? I don't have any kids. I'm not married. I don't have any mortgages. I don't have anything tying me down. If I don't really want to do this job anymore, I'm not going to have many other opportunities to take a chance and do something that's not this, right? Well, I mean, that that's that's how people get stuck. You get to a point, you're in a job, you're like, well, this is okay for a little while, and then life speeds up, and next thing you know, you do have kids and a mortgage, and then it's not about like, oh, my spirit's not fulfilled, because you got bills to pay, and you have mouths to feed, you know what I mean, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, yeah, you're doing the right thing to get out of there. Be interesting I, to see. I, I've done it. I did it in June. I mean, I, I essentially, I was, I was in a very similar spot as you, Sam, where um, I owed the place that I worked eight hours of computer programming, web stuff, eight hours. And if I took lunch for 35 minutes, I had to stay five extra minutes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. stuff like that, where like at the end of the day, I'm trying to like round up or like figure out some BS that I can come up with so I don't have to stay an extra 25 minutes, you know? And at the end of the week, they take my vacation time away from me if I don't hit that 80 hours. And I get why they do that, because productivity, especially what I was doing on a web level, so much wasted time, so much wasted time. But I got to the point where it's just like I would rather crash and burn on my own than just sit around and hate everything for somebody else. And it's a risky move, and some of the months are a little bit difficult and and things like that, but I've been able to make it to March now of waking up and, like, doing whatever I want. Like, there, there's a good thing that I can't do that 10 years from now. You know what I mean? I couldn't do it 10 years prior, you should even almost think of, is that 21 Sam couldn't do that. 41-year-old Sam couldn't do that. You're almost in that, that catch thing because you're not mature enough as a young person. You're going to be too responsible as an older person. Like, this is the perfect time to, to take a chance. So, <laughs> Can I tell 
Can I share with you guys a really good quitting a job story, though, really quickly? Uh, you're the you're the producer here. I am so the producer. We're all just captives. Go run ahead. Us, run us the story over. All right. So uh, I used to work at a job very similar to what I do now, a call center job. I worked for a place called APAC. Are you familiar with APAC? I am highly familiar with APAC. Yeah, APAC. Um, fine company. APAC is uh, they're they're not really they like to, uh, they sell out their like licensing to other companies, right? So when I worked for APAC, we were under contract for Verizon Wireless. Oh no. Yeah. Right. So I used to take phone calls for Verizon Wireless. Thank you for calling Verizon Wireless. My name is Sam. How can I help you? Um, this was the worst job I've ever had in my life, mm-hmm. right? Um, but here's the thing. <laughs> With that job, no one's ever calling you to talk about, hey, just want to let you know uh, my phone bill. Great work. <laughs> Great job, guys. You were right on with what I thought it was going to be. I didn't go over any minutes. You know, those, those data charges yeah. seem fair. Seems really fair, everything. So every phone call like that was like punishment. And then, uh, especially, and we used to work in that big building, and you could, and from my cubicle, you could see Genesee Street, and it was nice out. You could see the sun. And I remember I was really young. We were living in that crummy apartment on Thomas Street back when we were just, yeah, yeah Thomas Street. I don't even think I was living there yet. I would think I was still at home. We were really young when you really had a job. Oh, yeah, it was probably just me and the other guys. Anyhow. Um, so I remember that job was just not, not doing it for me. And I already told my boss, I'm like, I don't think this job's for me. She's like, you know what? Take a couple days, go home, think about it. Come back next week, start fresh. So I come back the next week. I work two or three days. I go in one morning. It's Thursday morning. I, uh, it's beautiful out. It's gotta be like 75 sunny radios on. I'm running. Out. I can't, I can't call out anymore. Like I've run out of, I'm out of call out days. I pulled into the parking lot. I saw all the all the sad boys walking in with their with their bags, looking just depressed. And I said, "Nope." And I dro- <laughs> I drove out of the parking garage, went home, and turned my phone off. I don't. I, I could technically still work for APAC and not I, know it. You know what? <laughs> I remember that day because I think I was at that Thomas Street apartment with our buddy, with our good friend Dano, good friend of the show, great friend of the show. And it was like me and him and somebody, and we were hanging out. And you're like, "Oh, I gotta go to work. It's the worst." And you had been bummed about the job, yeah. and just like thirty minutes later, you come storming back. And you're like, "I don't work there anymore. It's the <laughs> summer of Sam. <laughs> summer of Sam." Maybe. And then we told you context. it was already a thing, and it wasn't. Maybe you didn't want it to be summer of Sam. Right. True. I was thinking Seinfeld. Um, no, but I, I gotta say, like, as I've been friends with you for a long time sam and i i feel like i'm now used to like once every three or four years you come through and you just got to shuffle it up you're like i quit that job i walked out today and i'm done with it you know what i mean i do respect the fact that like you know because you're going from making comfortable money with benefits and you're like i can't do this anymore so i'm gonna just stop and then figure it out that takes balls to do so good for you thank you um i don't i don't think of it as balls i think of it sometimes as it was it was really gonna start to become a real problem for me on a on a personal level, I really was having. I could, I tell for the last few days or few like, weeks, honestly, for a while. I knew you hated it in the morning because I'm usually awake when you're getting up. It's a death walk for you. Like I know you are not looking forward to leaving. You know what I mean? You can see it in you. So I you think know, it's a good change for I you. I shared this with some people, and I think I've shared it with you, Kev. Um, I would drive into the morning, and we'll we'll go into an interview. I know we're running long, but um, I would drive into work in the mornings and have legitimate panic attacks. You know what I mean? Like, I would really just, like, I can't imagine eight hours of doing this job. Jeez. Let alone ten hours, because I have two hours of overtime. Right. And it just, I just woke up one morning. I woke up one morning at four in the morning, and I could hear the beeping in my head from the call, like, from the the headphones I have to wear when the call (laughs) comes in. And I woke up at four in the morning, and I just was like, I can't. This is... I have a a question for you. You know, like you said, we are going long, so we got to rein it in and get Tim out here. But do you ever feel like, I don't know if you feel this way, and, you know, Justin, I don't know if you've ever worked at restaurants, but, like, Mm. as somebody who's worked in restaurants and a bar, 
and you know you're you're leaving the job. You don't know where you know the paychecks are going to come from after that. You know you got your savings, this and that. Do you ever feel like you've just got a card in your back pocket? Like worst comes to worst, if I'm out of money, I can always walk into any restaurant or any bar yeah. somewhere and make my money. So I'm going to yeah. leave this job because I can, can't take it. I don't want to be a waiter, but at worst, I can go make yeah. some money in a yeah. restaurant. No, or a that's bar. a great tie-in, especially because one of the things me and Tim do talk about in this interview, which was excellent, mind you, uh, yeah. we're going to use this for. This Plus, he brought all that delicious bread and croissants and stuff to the house, um, which was great. Something I spoke with Tim about, and I think it really is something for people who worked in the restaurant industry. You do. Forge connections with these people. He says a lot of it thing through the, is the hours you have to work and the people that you end up spending your yeah, time it's with. Like, it's like, it's like, not to be hyperbolic, but it's like being in the trenches with people. It, it really is. is. It is. Uh, yeah, so I always feel like I could go back and do that. But let's let's get into today's interview. Uh, Tim Hardiman is the man behind Taylor and the Cook and Utica Bread with his business partner, Chris Talgo. Should we ask him for a job? Not I was going to say, is that, uh, <laughs> is that too shameless before the interview to say, are they hiring? Did you ask? I have, Tim, <laughs> I have Tim's phone number now. We could, I could call Tim if I had to. Good uh, friend of the show. It's the only way we're putting him on the Sunday drive is a little boost for you. So, <laughs> You know, let's just move on to the interview with Tim. Uh, Tim had a lot of really fascinating things to say. We might as well get to it because it's a long one. Tim Hardiman will be back after the interview. Way to start when we were first doing the show uh, and we were sitting down me and Aaron and Kevin we came up with a, a list of people who we thought like we these are people we've got to get on the show at some point in time and you were on the list very early on you were a very early addition and we've gone through a lot of people on that list but for some reason I don't know what took so long I think it was because I I hadn't scheduling been well scheduling is tough too uh, and you are in the restaurant business yeah. and it's tough to schedule but I didn't really I mean here we are at like it's like 3.30 in the morning right now, isn't it? <laughs> it seems like it. Um, Tim Hardiman, man, it's a real pleasure to have you Thank on the you. show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, for people who don't know you, uh, why don't you give just a brief introduction of a little bit who you are, and then we'll dig into the details. I am uh, co-owner and uh, operator of The Taylor and the Cook and Utica Bread. Awesome, awesome. Uh, and Tim, it's funny, I didn't really... Uh, you're an interesting guy because I'd heard your name so many times. Uh, no, I knew Chris Talgo, sure. your business partner, a little bit just from my time spent at Nail. Yeah. Um, and I'd heard your name a lot, especially around the food industry. I, I, I worked a lot in the restaurant industry growing up. So right, I we talked a, about that in New York too. Deep discuss- I have a deep yeah. passion for the restaurant industry. Um, but I didn't really know much about where you came from. So I guess let's start from there. You said you're, you were from Holland Patton? Yeah, I'm a local guy born and raised in Holland Patton. Awesome. You still got family out there? Or? Oh, yeah. My mom and dad still live up north. My dad's in the restaurant industry in Barneville. He owns uh, oh, nice. Adirondack Lanes and Diner. Really? On Route 12, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, and like most people in our age bracket, I left for a long time. Where'd you go? Uh, well, I went to school in Paul Smith College, so just outside of uh, Lake Placid. All right. And I spent the better part of seven years up there, kind of on and off with a couple of hiatuses. Trying to imagine what you were like in college. I'm trying to... Longer hair, more hemp, (laughs) probably a Um, tie-dye. And uh, then also Boston um, for a a couple of years. Do you like that? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it was in the heart of the big dig that I lived there. And, uh, you know... Growing up in a place like like Holland Patton, 
you know, I'm I'm not a, a big city dweller. And add add in the the biggest construction metropolitan co- construction project in you know the last hundred years yeah. in the United States. Um, it was intense. Nope. You know, it was an intense place to be, and my head probably wasn't in the right space. But I learned a lot, and I worked in a couple of really fantastic restaurants there. Now let me ask you this, because I'm another guy who did. I lived grew up in the suburbs, and then went to a big city. And for a while, I tried to be a city person. Like I right. tried to buy into the yeah, city yeah. mystique. Was I there like a time? Too. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, we we lived in Somerville, so just a couple blocks up from from Harvard Square, and and uh, you know, I wanted to like it there. Yeah, but. Uh, it's just wrong place, wrong time sort of a thing. You know, I, I was a little too young to really take it all in. And yeah. uh, I was, I didn't have much money, which makes it hard to live that, in a city yeah. like that. And it gets wor- it's gotten worse now. Oh, like, yeah. Especially a lot of big cities, you start to see yep. that divide. There's no middle ground anymore. You're either rich or you're poor. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to uh, your college, though, because you, you mentioned you, you went to college for culinary. Culinary, culinary arts, yeah. yeah. I think this is fascinating, and I'll bring this up just because a lot of times, I always like to ask people what they went to college for when they come on the show, because more often than not, most of the people I talk to have a degree in something that's not the field they ended up in. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, me specifically, I'm another guy, I have a history degree, and history degree is pretty much a liberal arts degree. A lot of people with culinary arts degrees do not use that. (laughs) Yes. The smart ones, they go through their culinary arts degree, and then they're like, oh, they're not going to... But from what I'm gathering, you know, with your father owning the restaurant and, you know, being around restaurants, did you know early on that you wanted to do something in the food industry always? Uh, Not necessarily when I I was real young, when I started working for my dad, but I think that people that grow up in the restaurant industry are are predisposed to, uh, for for better or worse, Hmm. they're predisposed to this this mentality of, of stress chaos mm-hmm. and and all the good and the bad that go yeah. w- with all of that in, in a restaurant and there's a you know it's not all bad but um i think more so than just being uh, you know growing up with with living with my father and and having him owning his, his own business i think it was more so than i knew i would be in a, a restaurant that i knew i would be self-employed sure you know, an entrepreneur Aye. of some sort and, and uh, then uh, you know when i decided to go to school for culinary arts um that really um started to you know ex- I, I started to express myself through food and, mm. and through hospitality and then you know the, the course of my the rest of my career boston and and yeah. down through the adirondacks and finally arriving back home you know i was watching hell's kitchen last night you never did the celebrity <laughs> chef thing you didn't want to be on hell's i kitchen. am not interested in that <laughs> i i am really not but uh you know Enough people know me around Utica now that I guess I at least have some uh, name recognition around here. That's fine. That's all I need. That's more than enough, actually. I got a couple things I want to ask you just briefly about the restaurant business. Sure. And, um, this is one thing. This is a phrase that's thrown around all the time, and I always laugh when I hear it. But I'd like to ask you, people always say that a restaurant and opening a restaurant is one of the riskiest investments you can ever have. Like, it's a 90, like the failure rate for a restaurant is, is crazy high. Uh, do you feel like this is a little bit overblown, or do you feel like this is a real concern? Is it is is the concern really there? It's absolutely real. Yeah. yeah. Um, I used to, when I was a little bit closer to college, I knew some of those rates, but yeah. it, um, in the late 90s when I was in school, I remember them being 90% in of, of restaurants or food service mm-hmm. fail in the first year. Yeah. And I, you can't quote me on that because that's an old number, but it's, it's not much different today. What's the reasoning behind that? I'm not sure. I can't even well, imagine. Well, there's, there's a few different things. You know, in most places, a restaurant restaurants, the market is fairly saturated. Sure. If you haven't picked the right genre of food. Right, right. 
Secondly, uh, hours. You work when everyone else is playing. Yes. You work every night and every weekend, most every holiday. Mm. That's tough. Uh, and then I think probably the most, the 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 most important one to keep an eye on is is vices. You know, yeah. when you're in the restaurant industry. Everything is available to you yeah. that you don't want to be at your fingertips. You know, and that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that ties into a little bit of what I was going to say. Uh, working in the restaurant industry the way I did, I worked it in New York and um, it was a lot of actors and comedians sure. and creative types and these people who lived in these strange hours, yeah. these odd times. But I thought I always thought that the people I worked with in the restaurant industry were the most interesting people I met. Right? I, I, I definitely agree with that. You <laughs> I know work I mean? in an office it, it, building now, man. Sure, these people yeah. don't have like that kind of <laughs> the tenacity, that little bit of edge that you need. Or what what it is is more the 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 saturation of people who have that sort of mentality yeah. or that sort of personality yeah. is much greater in a restaurant. You know, yeah. there's probably a couple of them in your office building, but. <laughs> they're they're all, it's it's the the complete opposite mm-hmm. in a restaurant you know oh, everybody's yeah. got got a story and everybody's got mm-hmm. uh, something really exciting to talk about you know i got one more uh food related question here for you and this is something i always laughed about uh i used to work late night shifts at the restaurant and when i would uh leave i would leave about the same time as a lot of the chefs in the back most yeah, of the yeah. chefs and you know you go get a drink and a lot of these guys would stop at bodegas sure or trash, like terrible, and just get the most garbage oh, food yeah. because they just didn't want, the last thing they wanted to do was go home and have to cook something else. Yeah. Is this a common thing for all chefs? Like when you're done cooking, there, you can't imagine you want to go home and cook anymore. <laughs> you know, and, and unfortunately around here, uh, there's not a lot of, and there's not a lot of late night uh, stuff your face no. sort of options, no. unfortunately. <laughs> but you know, like when you're in Boston, you leave your shift at one o'clock. Yeah. You're gonna find the the greasy spoon, and you're gonna mm. get uh, you know eggs Benedict with French fries or or something, and and uh, yeah, you don't want you, you don't generally want to eat the food that you are preparing mm-hmm. day in and day out. You want something that's comfortable, a right. burger, yeah, breakfast, yeah. late night breakfast is always yeah. big for the for the <laughs> hospitality industry, you know, and it, it but most people in restaurants probably forego that late night meal for a half a dozen drinks yes afterwards, yes you know? I've, I've made that mistake many times and then had to get in the subway when i realized it was oh, a bad man. Decision. oh that's the worst let's uh let's actually get into something i want uh i know you wanted to talk about um another guy who's been on that that infamous list that i talked about initially is your business partner chris yep. talgo um you guys go all the way back to holland Patton, yes oh yeah we went to school together yeah. we've been friends for a long time how did you guys start from being like high school friends ending up as business partners in two of maybe the most successful restaurants in utica right now uh, well, uh, after college, we, we, you know, Chris went away to college. I went away to college. Of course we stayed in touch and met up for parties and, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, but we both ended up back in this area. Um, must've been 2001 or 2002, okay. somewhere around there. All right. And, uh, we, Chris had a job at the city of Utica and we started a little catering company on Bleecker street called Catalyst Catering. Mm-hmm. Chris was the money man. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> With his job in the city, he was he was the uh, financial investor. So you can tell what kind of backing we had. There. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, and that didn't go so well. And uh, um, we came out of it with our friendship and our integrity. But uh, we we did fold up on Catalyst Catering. And uh, about a year later, we opened our second endeavor, which was. Uh, not quite as above boards as, as Catalyst Catering. Um, <laughs> it was a little uh, hot dog stand on Barrick Street called Titties, Wieners, and Buns. That's amazing. And it was. It was a. It was a marketing 
golden child, really. Oh, yeah. Um, we were the first, I'm proud to say we we're the first street side food vendor on Varick Street for Saranac Thursday. It was a great idea. It was fantastic. And we operated, I guess it was just two seasons that we operated. Mm. Uh, and we didn't make much money, but we had a lot of fun and we sold a lot of t shirts. And every now and again on a Saranac Thursday, I'll still see a Titties, Wieners, and Buns t shirt floating around. <laughs> Do you have there. any floating around? I don't have Damn. any. I know uh, that there's a probably a half dozen people that you know proudly say they still possess one. Um, <laughs> Ryan Montblue, uh, whenever he comes back to Utica, often busts out his uh, his titties, wieners, and buns T-shirt. He just sold out some show I saw. He was he yeah, well, it every yeah, time. he played an MV this past weekend. He kills it all he's time. Awesome. He's awesome, and he's got a huge following here. Oh, yeah. you know? but he's one. Actually, he's the only person that I could actually name that has one <laughs> because of his yeah. you know his uh, regional. Uh, Famousness. That's that's the only reason I know that he has one. As a guy who used to play in bands, uh, I'm always immediately skeptical of anyone else who plays music. Like someone will tell me, like, "Oh, I play in a band." I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah. What do you? What play? kind of band? What kind of band?" And Ryan was one of those guys. I didn't even know him, but I got hear his name all the time. I'm like, "Who's this guy?" <laughs> Ryan, huh? But then I heard him. I was like, "Oh yeah, okay, right. He's he's, he's really." We good. gave him one of those T-shirts, and it, you know, it's like the the most is the lowest end t-shirt we could possibly buy yeah. you know and we put the cheapest logo on and our friend Graz <laughs> did them for us and and uh, we gave that t-shirt to him and he i mean he he wore that proudly he wore it when he played the brewery actually busted out took off his flannel and he's got the titties so this is on. probably still 2002ish i think that was probably 2003 2004 yeah. and uh, yeah we're spending an awful lot of time on the business ventures that didn't really go <laughs> yeah. so well but uh, no, they, that's, that's interesting they, defi- they defined kind of our our uh, our partnership you know and then we went our own ways for a long way a long time and mm-hmm. and of course our own ways still kept us around here sure. and, and uh Chris and Tracy went on to open uh, and develop Nail Creek Pub. Mm-hmm. One of the yeah. best? Arguably the best beer I, bar in town. I spend more time there than I do with the other bars. I don't like to be, you know, I try to be unbiased here in this show. And you, you can't walk there. There's bars that you can walk to, there, too. I, I go to that one, too. I, still, I go to all the bars. I'm not afraid of bars. There's a lot of great bars in this town, but <laughs> he, he added to it. You know, and he, at that time, he added something that was really not covered in, in drinking in this area, and that was, you know, the the craft beer movement. For a guy like me, uh, I was, a, I'm guy, when that place opened up, I was still probably in my, I was still playing in bands, I was kind of a punk rocker, I was probably getting called a hipster at that point in time, I was just starting to hear that more regularly. Okay. Um, I didn't actually used to like going to Varick Street, because for me, yeah. as a guy, the only place that I felt accepted was uh, Electric Company, because right. that's where the musicians hung out, yeah. right? So for a long time, Nail and Electric Company became my saving sure. grace on that yep. section. Like That's just a from great that little section, block right there. And then I would never go past the 700s. Yeah. Um, and now it's just Nail because Electric right. Company's gone. But, right. Um, but so when so you got, he went from Nail and then is it after Nail started that you guys started? Yes, yeah, I think I think it Nail had been open three years when Chris had uh, you know he's a dreamer he's yeah. a thinker yes he is. Um, He's the uh, the one that really drives our, our partnership, you know, as far as uh, thoughts. Yeah, sure. He, he looks forward. I stay in the present. Yeah, the long guy. The yeah, long game. Yeah, yeah. He's, the, he, he's the long game. Yeah. Um, and he approached me and said that uh, we need to start thinking about uh, something else and that he wanted to open a restaurant. And I was in a real comfortable place, and I was n- not interested in, mm-hmm. in going out on my own at that time. And uh, long story made very short is he, he's he's one of the most persistent people you'll ever meet, mm-hmm. and uh, he got my wife signed on to the concept, sure. and uh, they came at me from both sides, <laughs> and uh, we st- started to look at properties, and he showed me 
94 Jenny in Bag Square, which ended up being the restaurant, and uh, I told him he was nuts. Yeah. I had, you know, this was, the only thing down there was the roasters, nothing else. Well, and the strip club. Well, Peepers, I mean, it goes, that's been there forever. <laughs> the Godfather's the Bag Square. So, um, but, you know, I changed my mind, and, and uh, a lot of people told us we were crazy, mm. you know, for opening a restaurant of that caliber oh, yeah. in that neighborhood. And it is, and when you say that caliber, I think that's important to note because up until that point in time, and I don't think this is just posturing because I, I have you here, I think it's really true. I've, I've been to tons and tons of restaurants. It really set a standard for what fine dining in this area could be. And this is not a knock on any of the restaurants that were here. You no, absolutely not. Great restaurants. Absolutely when not. When I left in 2008, if you the highest quality meal you could get was Delmonico's. And that's not a, that's not a knock on Delmonico's. No. Delmonico's no. is a steakhouse, right? Like what you guys do is something so uh, it feels absolutely. authentic. There's a real authenticness to it in the way everything's prepared and it's it's something that really set a nice bar. It really did. It did and it it should do that and not just for Utica but for you know just dining or hospitality in upstate New York in general you know I, I never thought that it would be such a regional restaurant I thought it would just be good for the city but it's become more than that and without being egotistical I'm okay with that because my staff my wife Chris and 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 myself there's so much heart and soul in that oh. That yeah. you, you you have to allow yourself to take credit for setting that sort of a standard. And, and what we're seeing now is other places kind of following in that sort of a, of a mindset. Sure. That's awesome. And yeah. That's the best thing. That's, a, that's the best outcome that you could have. Exactly. Because you need to see growth beyond just the four walls of your own business. And that's exactly the place we're in in Utica right now, you know. How long after Taylor opened did Utica Bread become an idea? Like when, when did that start to formulate? An idea, yeah. <laughs> it probably started to formulate in Telgo's head three or four days after we opened. <laughs> um, I think it was an idea probably a year and a half in, um, and then we acquired uh, 106, which is four doors um, to the south, and. Uh, um, from a really good friend and a, yeah. a, a a person who really has the long vision, that's Lynn Michelini. Oh, she! Um, I just want to say she. I interviewed her on the panel. Discussion, yeah, that was fantastic. And she is yeah. such a superstar. She's such a great lady oh, to talk man. to, and and you know she had that vision for Bag Square a long time yeah. ago, and I'm just so happy that she's around now to to be a part of it. And you know what? She doesn't even have to really do much work now. No. She can just watch it unfold. Yeah, which is probably nice for her too. I hope so. I hope so. It should be, because yeah. she worked hard and she's known it for a long yeah. time. And she was just a she was just ahead of the game. Yeah, you know. Um, and so, the idea may have sprouted at about a uh, at about a year a year and a half in, but mm. uh, we finally opened it up this past July. So just shy of four years after we opened the restaurant, we opened the bakery. How's it been since it's opened up? It's a bear. It's a, it's a, it's a, running a bakery is not an easy business. It's a different animal than oh, a restaurant. Game, I, 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 like. I, I didn't know that it would be so <laughs> challenging, but uh, it's great. The city seems to really be behind us. We got a good product. We got a great staff. And, uh, you know, Utica is a, a, a city of, of bread. Okay. It has been for a long time. And we're just another chapter in it. Um, we chose to go a different way. And so we're not focusing wholly on a, a Italian bread and pastry. Which is a good look. Well, yeah, yeah it is. You, you, again, you don't want to be part of an oversaturation. Exactly. And, and 
I, I'm not Italian, and uh, nor do I pretend that I could pr- produce that sort of a product, you know? And, well, I'm, I, I'm, I have some Italian in me, and part of me thinks to myself there is a difference. When I want Italian stuff, I go specifically to places exactly. that do Italian places. Right. But Utica Bread is if I want to go get high-quality bread of various quality. Like, sure. What can I... I can get many different things. There's Absolutely. Such a, there's such a range of stuff, and yeah. it's such a beautiful building. You guys yeah. have such a great job. It's it's a great space, yeah. and, and it's just... It's it's part of a neighborhood. You know, a, a neighborhood needs a bakery. I'm glad you said that. Uh, your Twitter handle is BagSquareChef. Um, That's me. Now, you've watched a lot of this BagSquare build-up. What do you think, in your opinion... how? How important has it been to watch this whole neighborhood change for the city and just for the, the 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 local area? I guess I don't even know if I can put a a metric on yeah, it. It's, That's how important it is. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's monumental, and it's just one neighborhood in the rebirth of this city, you know. And but it's my neighborhood, and it's it's the location of Bag Square makes it really important. What I think is nice about the way the Bag Square is developed is it it entertains this imagination in our heads that this this section, it worked so well here, and you start to imagine what it would look like on all these other sections. Sure. You drive through the historical district, and you go, yeah. oh, okay. Or you drive, you know, you drive through just these dilapidated areas, and you're like, I, I see where this, Absolutely. I see where the former Absolutely. glory of this used to be, and I see where it could be again. I just sure. wish that we could get there sometimes. And it's, you know, well, and that, it worked in Bag Square mm-hmm. 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, that was the, the, economic and, yeah. and cultural center of the city for a long time that being said what do you what would you like to see going forward from the bag square area and from your two uh, your two ventures there as well well uh, two two things are, are most important for bag square and all of the revitalization of the city i believe one is people residing in downtown yeah we need people living in bag square <laughs> and parking space well along with that yes. <laughs> yeah but if if everybody not everybody that that it habitates in downtown needs to have a car. Exactly. You know, and, and that's one thing that Utica is very focused on is where am I going to park? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so you've got, you need people living in downtown, you need people living in Bag Square, and you need walkability. Mm-hmm. Those are the two most important things to the, the re, revitalization of the neighborhood. And, and you probably would think that, you, that I would select a, a business or a, a, a type of business. Sure. or it doesn't really have anything to do with what businesses fill what storefronts or, or what time they're open or what they do, what their, their commerce is. It has to do with the amount of people that live in an area or downtown and how they get around. Walkability. And uh, we got a long road ahead of us for, for specifically the, the walkability, but those are the most important things to Bag Square right now. We talk about it all the time in the show. Uh, People feel really positive about the city right now, but one of the things that I really think is important is that we have to remember this isn't the end. This is just the beginning. Things have been going well, but this isn't the end of something that happened. This is the beginning of hopefully more things that will Absolutely. happen. We need to keep looking forward as well. Uh, Tim, before I let you go, i got to ask you, you're so passionate about food and you're so passionate about the restaurant industry. What else are you passionate about? What else do you do besides just cook and do the business. Uh, doesn't seem like much most weeks, but uh, I have a, a wonderful wife and, and an amazing son, and I'm very passionate and try to make sure I maintain balance mm. um, and, and make sure I'm as good of a, of a husband and father as I am a, a, a restaurateur. But I'm, what, with what little bit of time that I, I have left in my week, I, I, I'm, I'm a music buff. Not a musician. Ah. I'm a music buff. Ah. Um, I, I 
pretend to know a lot about a, a whole bunch of different parts of, of music. What are you listening to right now? Right now, I'm listening to Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. I'm not a clue. Phenomenal. Awesome. You must check them I'm out right that time. Right That's a great down. question. I always ask people what's in their CD player, and then they look at me and they're like, "Well, I don't have a CD player." <laughs> I used to ask people what they read. What they're reading right now, yeah, but that's yeah. a that's like a ten percent question right, now. They're like, right. I'm reading Netflix. Yeah. I'm like, all right, well, it's fine. <laughs> uh, Tim Hardiman, people can follow you on Twitter at Bank Square Chef. Where else can they reach out to you? Uh, Pro- I wish I was a little more active on Twitter, but uh, Facebook, um, you can reach me through the Bank Square, uh, or excuse me, through the uh, Utica Bread Facebook or the Taylor and the Cook Facebook. Of course, our websites. Give us a call. Tim, it's a real pleasure. You're doing great work. My Continued, pleasure. Uh, Thanks success. for having me. Oh, dude, it's a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers we'll to the back. Cast. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And we'll be back in the show in just a moment. Tim Hardiman, who, you know, props to Tim. He did that interview for us, and we had a good time. He, You know, we stayed for about 20 minutes, and, uh, you know, he brought over some beers, and then he came out to your birthday party. He did. He did. He showed up. I was so nice to see, because I came to the party late. I was getting out of work, and he walked up, and I was like, oh, and I was really surprised to see him in there. It was nice of him to come out and hang with everybody. Yeah, it, I feel like because it was my birthday, it kind of gave him a reason to come do the show this week. Oh, so I, I'm just God. saying, he was like, I'm already going to be hanging out with Justin, so I'll just stop by these guys' house real quick. I just, I always miss Higgins so much. <laughs> hey, I do have a question for you, though. Um, sure. Does Back End Tim, uh, the guy who is the chef and the, uh, the maker of things, hate guys like Kevin on the front end? Did he talk about that at all? About waiters and stuff? I yeah, think he's talking about back industry? of house and front of front house. Front of house, yeah. Um, Did know, he talk about that at all? We got into it a little bit about, because um, I used to talk about how as a, as a waiter, I always related more to like the guys in the back of the house, because I was like a soccer fan. You have to be good yeah. to your back of house, guys. Here's yeah. the trick. like When you work in a restaurant, there's definitely a difference. And the fact of the matter is, nine times out of ten in restaurants, the guys in the back of house, the guys in the kitchen, you know, doing the dishes, yeah. stuff like that, they're working 10 times as hard for a fraction of the money. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And you as a server who gets to just go out there and schmooze the people and make sure that drinks are filled and everything like that and bring the food out and take orders, and you're making way more money, you need to be appreciative of your cooks yeah. and back-of-house guys because they will take care of you if you do. But if you treat them subhuman, which I've seen in restaurants before, servers, bartenders coming back thinking that, you know, they're the kings of the world and just, you know, yelling at these guys like they're slaves back there. Those people, it just is a terrible relationship yeah. and they don't really resent it. So you have to respect the people who allow you to my, make more money than you deserve. My sister and I worked because growing, you know, we, we had some places where we get each other in or whatever. And she always worked as a waitress and I worked in the, the back, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the back end. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I would have no problem asking her for money or if like I didn't, my $8 wasn't cutting it. I was like, <laughs> hey, Jordan, who do you think served all those plates for you so you could have 400 in a who night? Who got that mid-rare ribeye out there Come in 12 on, minutes when we were know? busy? I've, don't get it there. You don't get that money. Well, in a fairer society, like I used to say this at work, and this is very unpopular with the other waiters. I was like, in a fairer society, we would pay the hostesses and the and the busboys and the chefs more, and we would make a little bit less. We make we made disproportionately more money compared to the actual 
physical work that a chef or line cook has to do in the back. Person. Most places I've worked tip out hosts and busboys and things like that. But yeah, we did too. But kitchen not, guys yeah. should make more money for it's sure. It's almost more insulting when the busboys and dishwashers get it and the cooks don't. It's just like, come well, on. I used to hate having to tip out the hosts at our job because you tip them like $5 each a shift and I'm walking out of there with like $300 and you're like, uh, all right, see you later. <laughs> Bye. Here's a couple bucks, kid. Good luck. Yeah. Carry a plate, man. <laughs> um, yeah, it's that's a weird relationship. If you if you're a good waiter, if you're a good front of house person, you have good relationships with the back of house people. Yeah. Those are the ones who get the best service from the, the chefs. If you have good service with the people in the back of the house, they'll treat you better, right? Mm-hmm. If I forget a plate and I go to the back and I talk to like, oh Mauricio, uh, Mauricio, I forgot this plate. He he's got me because yeah. I'm his boy. Like all right, right boom, we'll, we'll get it out for you. But if you're good, consistently yeah. a jerk to yeah. the chefs. Don't expect them to do you any favors. It's worse for you. Yeah. You know, so that's just my hot take. Be nice to your chefs and your back of house people. Got any more hot takes? What's coming up here? Um, Well, I got to tell you, I have a hot take against Aaron Higgins because I have been. Ooh, you're going to call her when she's not here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I I sent this message to her. I have been saving this story since last Tuesday. The show came out on Tuesday, and then this article came out, and I wanted to talk about it because it gets into baseball and I know that she didn't like it. I know she's been very vocal about Bryce Harper on the internet about the comments that he made about the game of baseball, uh, and I agree with his comments. So I was really hoping that we could have a uh, an angry Aaron debate here on the show. Can I, but alas, because of her science fair commitments, uh, I have to do this by myself now. Can I give you a secondary? He hot says take he, he says he's got to do it by himself. Parkinson, what do we well, chop liver? She is a Mets fan, and he plays for the Nationals. Yes, I think part of the the resentment had it been um, Cespedes saying that she might not be having a problem. I think with you're it, sniffing so. in the right direction. She doesn't want to see future Bryce Yankee, Harper. Yeah, Bryce Harper. No, even here. rival in division with the Nationals, Bryce Harper, who's going to beat the Mets up this year. Well, let's let's talk about this thing because this is uh, for those of you who've not read the article. This is from a very lengthy story that Bryce Harper had in ESPN the magazine last month. Uh, and Bryce Harper, for people who don't know much about him, he's an outfielder for the Washington Nationals. He's probably one of the best three or four offensive players in baseball yep. right now. He's young. Um, he, as a fantasy baseball player, he was kind of a, he was kind of a bust for the first couple of years, and then just the last year and a yeah. half, he's really turned. Well, it remember, on. he was on Sports Illustrated when he was 15, dropped yeah. out of college, and went to junior college at yeah. 16. Was drafted sure, so by the Nationals, first overall, 18, right. playing sure, pros so, by 19. So okay, this, so great, yeah. great young baseball. So player. there you go, fantastic. So this is a, a section from that's getting a lot of critique. Uh, basically, Bryce Harper called baseball, quote, a tired sport because you can't express yourself. Here's, a, here's, the, here's the whole quote, okay? You can't do what people in other sports do. I'm not saying baseball is, you know, boring or anything like that, but it's the excitement of the young guys who are coming into the game now who have flair. It's the Harveys and Jacob deGroms or Manny Machados or uh, Andrew McCutcheons of the world. There's so many guys who are so much fun. Um, and basically what he's implying is uh, if you want kids to play the game, uh, what games are kids playing these days? Football, basketball. Look at these players. Steph Curry, LeBron. It's exciting to see these players in their sports. Cam Newton. It's all about flair. It's dramatic. I think this hits right on the head a lot of the things that people are down on in baseball, right? Well, I don't think, I mean, you know, to specifically to him making that point, I don't think you can really talk about his thing without saying that he was directly responding to mm-hmm. Goose Gossage and everything that he had to say about Jose Batista and all these other guys yeah. like that. So that was in direct response to an older Hall of Fame player attacking these younger guys for bat flipping and, you know, 
going out there and yeah. looking at their home runs and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I and forgot about that. Yeah. Funny how yeah, that part <laughs> gets cut off though, and Harper just gets attacked. Well, right? that's you know, that's that's the thing. Like you know, you got to put it in the context and everything. But I think you know he's he's right in the sense that every time somebody goes out and does something like after that game in Toronto where the Blue Jays were playing whoever it was, and Batista hit that home run and flipped his bat like a country mile through it forever. Like, yeah, he was absolutely showboating, yeah. but, like, after you watch that game, how could you not in that right. moment? And people get so worked up about it. They're like, that's not the way the game's supposed to be played. That's classless. Who the hell are you, and what do you right. care? Well, the beauty of Let baseball the, the beauty of baseball is it is one of those rare sports that you get a chance to show someone they're being disrespectful. So I don't think not a lot of people that, are disagreeing no. with Bryce Harper, but if they do, they have to face him a bunch of times this year, and they might dust him down a, a, sh a throw here or slide in hard at second base. You know what I mean? Like well, he, He'll get his because tradition dictates that, but I don't think there's people out there that are going to try to get him, to be honest with you. No, because I think that's like dumb, too. We're going to throw a baseball at your head because you flipped a bat in a high-octane situation. You just go out there, and they were talking about the other players who came out and said, you know, when they go out and like, yeah, this guy got me, and he got me because it's a game. I'm not going to sit here like all of that tired old – that's the stuff that's tired, all of that like mm. old honor tradition of the game trying to pretend it's still the 1930s. Yeah. It's not, and baseball is not boring because I like it, but I understand why not as many people watch it as people watch the Golden State Warriors. Right. I certainly understand right. that. You know well, what I mean? That's a really fair point, man, because like honestly, like I, I think uh, – and that's one of the things he goes in here to say, man. If, if a guy – you know, pimps out his, you know, throws his bat and gets excited because he hit a game-winning home run. Like, mm -hmm. sorry, like the he's, I mean, like, why would you, why are you taking away the excitement from someone who did something special yeah. because the old timers don't like the code? That's one of the things that drives me nuts about this whole argument. And the Goose Gotcha thing, I'm glad you brought it up. Deadspin did a really good article about it called "Old Man Swears at the Clouds," and it's mm -hmm. pretty much, and it's a really interesting point, like. Why? Okay, so if an old-time veteran player hits a home run in a big game and flips as bad, is anyone going to care? If that, if you took Jose Batista out of that situation and put Albert Pujols in there, would people have made a big deal out of it? I, I don't know. I think it's super circumstantial. It's who people, in general, the baseball like players feel is one of their guys. Yeah, I mean, if Harper wasn't saying this, maybe Harper's already not one of their guys, right? Right. Well, I think anybody who does something like that, they don't consider as one of their guys. But like that's. To the whole argument as a whole, and you hear it a lot about like you know the NFL and all this different stuff, where you hear a lot of people who are like, "That's not the way the game's supposed to be played," and that's you know classless, and like these people aren't respecting the game, like all this different stuff you hear in sports about people like celebrating and dancing and acting out. People get so sanctimonious and worked up about it. I'm like, who? Wow, how, how do you care so much? Like, how does this really like? There's people out there playing a game. Like, just let the people play. People get so worked up yeah. about it. It's insane to me. You know what? It's because. There's so many seasons, and uh, did you just get attacked by the podcat? Yeah, <laughs> you got attacked by the podcat. Podcat left some gas cat around. I you think did. you should explain oh, what geez. that means. Yeah, we have Charlie, uh, Justin's cat from upstairs, yeah, who's ridiculous. roaming around the uh, the podcast studio, and he just jumped up in Justin's lap and left him a treat. Yeah, it's terrible. I don't you got crop dusted a little bit. He got crop dusted by Charlie the podcat. anymore, Charlie? Jeez. Oh, now I know. Basically, what we essentially do is to just drop all broadcasts of baseball back to black and white, and when they run the bases on a home run, play some sort of weird jingle that suits the 20s, and then go about it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what are we trying to do here? Like, baseball has some of the greatest technology with, like, their slow motion. When Batista hit that and they show you the MLB cameras on that, mm -hmm. that technology is insane. And unfortunately, you can't showcase those high-octane moments at maximum technology to get young kids interested because we're talking about he flipping his bat. You know what I mean? Like, come on. 
baseball is an important sport to me. I, I would not ever go so far as to say that baseball is boring, per se, okay? The things that I find fascinating about baseball as a sport are still fascinating. I think it's amazing that somebody can throw a ball 97 miles an hour and hit with pinpoint accuracy the direction he's trying to hit. Right. That's crazy to me. Just the simple like mechanics of how the human body can swing a bat and hit a ball that fast is crazy to me. That being said, baseball has done the least of any major professional sport to uh, to cater to a younger audience. They really it doesn't seem like they're really trying the way that the NBA or even like I, I'm gonna get a lot of flack. For, even the soccer people. Who's doing, giving you flack? The general public. They don't like my Does soccer. Does the general public give you flack? I'd like to see this flack. Joe Q public. America. John <laughs> Q America doesn't appreciate European football. That's all I'm saying. Uh, no, I, I just I do think that a lot of the things that he said. Are, are very spot on. I think he necessarily, maybe not the best messenger for this. I, I disagree, actually. Um, his personality may not come off, and I don't want to say this without like making it up. Um, he's an uh, attractive white male, and um, there's a lot of people who you will pay attention. You got something you want to tell us? I'm just saying there's people who attention when will pay attention when he makes a statement like it, regardless of his personality. Well, he's a young, he's a face of the game guy. Right. He's one of those people, I mean, people know who yeah. Bryce Harper is, and yeah. I think it's important coming from a young torchbearer for a younger generation yeah. like it's important for him to go up and speak on what he thinks the game means to his generation yeah. baseball needs more people like like bryce harper just on a talent level and you deal with the personality afterwards because if you can get 10 superstar players like that then they can say what they want so the headline is justin's looking for more handsome men i heard a funny story about bryce harper that his new coach uh dusty baker has been really uh trying to you know stand up for him <laughs> But he keeps calling the wrong name. He's calling him Royce. Royce, yeah. Royce. Harper. He tried to spin it as that he drives like a Rolls Royce or something. So he's calling him Rolls Royce is what he means by it or something stupid. It's like, yeah, all right, you out of uh, touch, old Royce, man. You're the exact problem. Roy, the Royce Harper. Royce Harper sounds like a rejected Wyatt family member for any wrestling <laughs> fans out there. Um, Justin, do you want any hot takes about your birthday before we move on to this week's over unders? Mm. Do you feel any older? No. You look older. Thanks. <laughs> I say it every year. I don't know if, if we reiterated it. If if your birthday comes up and you're moving in a direction that you're pretty satisfied with, you don't worry about getting older. I feel like I'm getting wiser. That's a pretty positive thing, I guess, out of it, though. So when you look back at 21-year-old Justin, I'm happy to be 31. So <laughs> Cheers to you. I feel like you're getting wiser, eh? Uh, okay. Do you want to put that out there on, on the radio for people to listen to in nah, perpetuity? I'll redact that. Okay. Let's move on to, <laughs> let's move on to over-unders. Uh, so this one was sent in by a good friend of the show, uh, Jilly Dukes. Uh, she wants us to talk about Brussels sprouts and whether they're overrated mm. or underrated. I think this is a good one, actually. Um, and I'm going to start off here. I'm going to say that Brussels sprouts have now turned the corner and are now back to being overrated. Back wow. to being overrated? Un After I guess overrated, I guess. They've always been underrated, I guess, right? I, I mean, everyone hates them as a kid, and I think you like them as an adult. That's I my think, swing. I think there was a moment... In the last 10 years, when somebody realized that we've been cooking Brussels sprouts wrong the entire time, uh -huh. and everyone learned that you should pan fry them instead of boiling them in water to make them like small cabbages. I think you're just talking about the way that your mom cooks them. And that's pretty no, much it. She's not the only person who does that. Really? I, I feel like that's just I how saw, people know how to cook them. Cook nah, them. I saw her seeing that in restaurants yeah. everywhere. And oh. then it was all on Pinterest boards. And now it's all over the place. Yeah. Now there's. You spend a lot of time on the Pinterest boards? You know. I'm all over the social media. <laughs> I got a lot of free time as I'm jobless you know now. What makes, that's uh, true. You know what makes them a bit overrated, though, is that buddy Mark Simon does not eat vegetables, loves Brussels sprouts. 
So if Mark's into them, they're overrated. Well, it's like now everything, it's like, and everyone thinks they're doing some special version of Brussels sprouts now, but it's always the same thing. It's like, let's cut it up and put it in half and then pan fry it and then throw some sort of meat in there. Well, yeah, okay. That's how everyone's doing it now. So I'm going to say that they are now overrated, Brussels sprouts. That's taking a hot take just to take a hot take. They're underrated because Brussels sprouts are still synonymous with gross vegetables people don't like. Should we address the fact that Justin just left the studio? Is he coming back? He went to go chase off the podcast. Justin, overrated, underrated, Brussels sprouts. Um, Make a call. Get to your mic. The people need to know. I don't eat red meat, man, or pork. So I love all vegetables and, and things like that. So I can't knock them. Underrated. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Thank you very much, Jillian. Uh, and let's move on. Another one sent in by one of our uh, our people on Twitter. Man, Ryan is sweet. Uh, he wants us to say overrated, underrated fish fry, and then he also wants to know where the best place to get fish fry uh, is. The any small firehouse in a rural yeah. town with a you're population good. of like less than thirteen thousand people is where you're going to get the best fish fry. You got to go to like some weird obscure firehouse place for it because those guys are doing magic out there. Um, underrated. Fish fries are the best. Yeah, f- fish fries are great. Uh, there's two places in particular in Deer- Deerfield Firehouse and then uh-huh. there's a VFW on Cosby Manor. Yeah, yeah. Killer, killer uh, fish fries, affordable too. That's that's the catch too. If you're paying about five, six, seven dollars for a fish fry, completely underrated. When you start getting in that ten, eleven dollar, twelve like babes mm-hmm. Friday night dinners thing, that's yeah. overrated fish fries. When you're just jacking it up because it's like the thing to eat on Fridays, get out of here. I'm a sucker for any fish fry, like even a low brow fish fry. But I have to stand behind the fact that beer battered is the only way to get a fish fry. If you do it the other way, you're wasting your time. You should only be um, beer battering your fish fry. Well, yeah, I mean, if in, in a perfect world, that'd be great. But I mean, a fish fry either way is still, I'll still take that. Yeah. Uh, and my favorite fish fry. Get your shot glasses ready. The Black Swan, Bedford wow. Ave in Brooklyn, New York. You can't. Great fish and chips. Next time you're in Bedford Ave in Brooklyn, New York, Black Swan. Tell them Famo sent you. So did you see it? That, yeah, because they'll, they'll know who that is. <laughs> the Liverpool guy. Tell them the Liverpool guy sent you. Thank God. Yeah, it'll be the only Liverpool guy. <laughs> the only that's Liverpool sure. guy. So wait, overrated or underrated? For oh, you? underrated. I think I, I'm tempted. I went to. Oh, I'll fry a fish right <laughs> now. I went oh. to a Pizzeria Uno with my family. A couple days ago, and was tempted to get the fish and chips there just because I saw it on the menu. Yeah. That's not a place to get fish and chips from. Uh, how, about, how about this though? Getting fish on the fish fry on Friday makes it a bit overrated. Getting yeah, it on a random sure. Tuesday because you see it on the menu—that's underrated. I don't that's, do Lent, so I'll get fish whenever I want. Exactly, that'll make it underrated. If you can pull it out any day of the week, underrated. Fair enough. That's not going to tell you to live your life. <laughs> Boys, we had a long one today. Why don't we call it quits? Anything we want to say before we go? Uh, nothing. I have nothing Did to people say. actually email you? Ready to be done. Yeah, people email me. Yeah, it's over. You can catch us at gmail.com. We'll see you on Sunday, 92.7 on the drive. You can catch us there. 6.30. Thanks, Tim. I'll be sleeping.